Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today we're going to be treated to another of the 2014 Palenque Norte lectures, the ones that were held at this year's Burning Man extravaganza. And our guest speaker is Niles Heckman. And while his name may not be one that you recognize, my guess is that you've seen some of his work. Niles also has his own podcast, and after we listen to his talk, I'll pass along more information about how to contact him. But for now, sit back, relax, and join me as we learn how the psychedelic experience is seen through the eyes of a professional computer graphic artist. Welcome back to Palenque Norte. Thank you all for coming out. Um, So I'm happy to introduce Niles Heckman. Uh, Niles is an artist and filmmaker. After years of working on large professional teams, he's now focusing on putting his skill set to more of his own personal projects, allowing him more creative freedom. So here's Niles to discuss conscious art and visualizing the psychedelic experience using computer graphics. Hello, beautiful people. If you had said to me five years ago I would be coming to, let alone speaking at, Burning Man, I would have thought you were out of your mind. So transitioning times we live in. Uh, it's delightful to be here. My name's Niles Heckman. I'm an artist and filmmaker. I'd like to thank uh, Bruce Damer and Chris Pezza for having me here today. My background as an artist is a career in the Hollywood visual effects industry, which is basically a fusion of art and technology. And I've had a wide-ranging career doing a variety of different roles in a variety of different locations Some were very glorified kind of assembly line at your desk all day work. Others were going onto film sets as a supervisor and with some of the major studios, telling them essentially how to shoot the photography properly for visual effects. And uh, I worked on three Academy Award winning films, two for visual effects and one for animated feature. And a few of the films that I worked on were the Matrix sequels and Avatar as well as Tron Legacy. And it wouldn't be till after I'd worked on them, the more kind of deeper themes I would eventually come to see in them, like the deep Gnostic themes of the Matrix and the shamanic themes in Avatar. And uh, Tron, which has, of course, a heightened outlandish reality existing alongside the standard reality, which, of course, that's quite an untechnical concept when you really know about it. Uh, I created imagery for high-end commercials and game cinematics, in which I received an award for virtual cinematography, which is cinematography on a motion capture stage when you're working on a fully computer-generated project. And the commercial industry is, of course, constantly upping the use of bright, saturated colors uh, with increasingly complex imagery year after year. And since then, I've kind of gotten more into just my own independent filmmaking. And I'll share a little bit of my story here today, which I think is basically becoming all of our stories, which essentially entails following a conscious path of growth to create art and storytelling. And in my case, that's much of that has been through technology and computer science, both on a professional and personal level. So human beings are profoundly influenced by images. And a psychedelic experience is one of the most profound visual experiences we can have, which pushes the boundaries of our perception. And visual effects professionals work to replicate what can't be shot practically or would not be feasible to do so. And the visual component of the psychedelic experience is 
pretty much for the most part, basically the final frontier for what computer graphics still have yet to replicate faithfully or can only do currently in extremely small doses. And most, assemb- most attempts to do so to date have been quite crudely done and aren't anything nearly to the same extent of what I've happened to see in my own personal experiences. So why would one want to do such a thing? I, I'd say it's the same reason that you go to a museum or an art gallery, right? I mean, any viewing any sort of work of art is an altering of our reality, no matter how slight. And even though each plant medicine journey is different and experiential, duplicating these experiences authentically in a digital medium could allow for more dissemination. Thus, more people would gain insight into them and potentially then have them for themselves when done rarely and safely and responsibly in proper set and setting. So it's not just for entertainment purposes, but for educational purposes as well. And what do most people living in the industrialized first world, which is essentially Rome and the crown, what do they do? They go to school. They maybe go to more school. They go to even more school if they're lucky. And that basically is just kind of training them to slot into very specialized roles in the current capitalist system, which thinks it can just have endless growth on a planet of finite resources. They get a job. They watch their shows. They you know, have barbecues. Maybe two weeks out of the year, they travel. So it's kind of work, eat, sleep, repeat. And that's kind of what the society offers. That's kind of it. And most people in this society, unfortunately, aren't growing much. And growth is a manifestation of life. So if you're not growing fully, you're not fully alive. And the average person gets kind of educated, air quotes, into the present system, which kind of just allows us to continue propelling our mistakes and then feels they're done and they've kind of learned everything they need to know. And then from that, on, from that point on, it's kind of like the aspects of what our culture hands to you. Sports, news, celebrity, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, family members maybe down during the holidays educating you on kind of the little things. The everyday kind of surface-level pedestrian conversations. It's what a friend of mine calls the price of fish. Everybody's just kind of talking about the price of fish all day. And you're lucky if you can get people to even discuss what to do with our broken political systems in kind of a proactive, constructive way. So if you are truly growing, you may one day come to realize that everything in this society is kind of the opposite of what it should be. Everything is essentially backwards and upside down. So the example of that is this kind of stereotypical starving artist is maybe struggling financially greatly while creating potentially brilliant artwork, while somebody moving numbers around, let's say, in abstract artificiality on soulless Wall Street is extremely financially rewarded in this current paradigm. So we're not living our authentic lives. And every kid is kind of born artistic in some way, and we're kind of trained to become unartistic. So we really kind of have to unlearn to then really learn. And as one searches for truth, which is basically a natural process, one may come to learn that efforts are at work that actively prevent one from growing. And I would go so far as to say that this is by design with our current system, and it's been going on for a very long time. 2,000 plus years, and it's essentially an effect of living in empire. So without sounding too conspiratorial, most people, not necessarily most people that would be at Burning Man, but most people that may not ever want to come to Burning Man, would be absolutely flabbergasted to learn the real extent as to which we're intentionally kept in a state of non-growth. And we're asleep and essentially kept in a childlike state of neoteny, which I would say kind of stems from people not learning from themselves 
but basically having other people tell them what to think. So there's a reason it's called television programming, for example. And another example might be somebody that goes into a building on a Sunday and somebody standing in front of that building tells them what to think and they don't actually, they just take that at face value rather than going off and having their own experiences. You, it, is a, it is possible to awaken to life and to truth and begin a real education, but we're just as a species kind of starting to come out of the sandbox and stepping out of that sandbox can tend to really marginalize you because you start getting at the heart of what our society is kind of built on, which is money in the bottom line. But you may come to realize you're not crazy, but unfortunately far too many other people are, which doesn't mean that you're better than them, but is a rec- recognition of our collective psychosis. So, so there's that great quote, entheogens aren't illegal because they drive you insane, they're illegal because they drive you sane. So... With growing, which is a compulsion to explore life's mystery, if things have a foundation in integrity, they are worth looking at. If they cater to sensationalism in ourselves or superficial statistics, they're not really worth looking at. So I kind of would classify this as a difference between maybe the esoteric versus the exoteric. And the exoteric offers us things like empire, culture, ignorance and unconsciousness, corporatized and militarized government, war, debt-based monetary systems, false choice with political candidates, the Hegelian dialectic, mundane artlessness, conditioning, infotainment, monarchy, plutocracy, the Protestant work ethic, miseducation, fashion and celebrity, dogmatic, reactionary religions, synthetic consumerism, a dismantling of the middle class, an erosion of our rights, a reduction in our vocabulary, dirty energies, environmental destruction and climate change, GMOs, Acidic monocultured foods, alcohol, shadowy technologies, ecclesiastic legal systems, and the war on some drugs, as I like to call it, since all the expansion drugs are illegal and all the contraction drugs are legal. Surprise, surprise. Um, NSA spying and jobs we kind of don't really like, but we're mostly conditioned to feel like we have to do. And the esoteric offers us to explore art, philosophy, expanded consciousness, enlightenment, growth, spirituality, multidimensionality, an expansion of our language, alkaline foods, meditation, our chakras, our pineal glands, astrology, psychism, the tarot, astrotheology, entheogens, hermeticism, Gnosticism, mysticism, alchemy, shamanism, telepathy, sensory deprivation, sacred geometry, box technologies, metaphysics, Sovereignty, natural law, etc., all sorts of things most people don't even know about, but really help fuel the growth process. And over time, people who have really known things through time have been initiated into esoteric teachings. So we live in transitioning times where we're just kind of coming out of the dark ages, and empire is alive and well, and the dark is super dark. But it's important to look at the dark because that's how we learn, is from the dark. But the opposite side of that is that the light is super bright and super beautiful and incredibly empowering. So protesting in this current system can be very useful, and especially if it can be kind of sustained and not crushed by Orwellian police states. You look at things like the Arab Spring or the Occupy movement, which scare the machine greatly and aren't perfect, but are as much about changing language as anything because language is very important. And however much is better described beyond language in pictures. And thus, the existence of image-creating systems 
increases our means of expression and of imagination. So what's even more important in this current system is peaceful noncompliance and creating content rather than consuming it. So essentially, I would say that's because the current unsustainable paradigms won't work if people stop buying excessive stuff. So you talk about you talk about the commoditization of artwork, and you know there's of course a balance with that. We all have to make a living in this current society, but today's authentic artist is a seeker challenging the status quo, operating on the sidelines of that kind of phony rat race. And whether you're doing it with a brush or a pen or a guitar or a camera or art pieces in the desert or tattoos on people's bodies or via a computer, the more authentic you kind of are, the less likely you probably will be to be recognized by the mainstream. So challenging empire and its associated control systems really alarms the current power structures because it's about fueling conscious growth, which does not come from dogma or indoctrination. So I think like Banksy is a good example of this, right? Like his work really makes you think. And conscious art has to do the inner work before it can do the outer work. And that's especially to be said with the artists themselves. Art isn't really important unless it helps you grow in creating it or helps others grow through its consumption. And I would ask then kind of what is your contribution to life? You know, what is your creative output? You know, because in human creativity there is cosmic meaning. And people can easily fall into not being creative because control systems discourage creativity and replace it with purely consumption of junk food uh, that doesn't allow people to grow in any way. It's just top-down schlocky art used to convey unconscious tales of distraction and programming you know, saturating us with images of the negative aspects of our culture. You know, top 40 reality TV, uh, CG disaster porn, which I, in a former life, helped create. So, um, you know, but we're not asked to be to participate in it. We're just asked to consume it. So differentiating and discerning between good and bad is extremely important, and that requires balance. Balance of mild amounts of good consumption, which allow us to propel our creations forward which the universe is essentially always inviting us to do, and that helps us become our authentic selves. And the, archetype, the archetypal figure of the artist brings healing because artists are dreamers and are a function of our divine imagination. And that's especially true if we're all seeing this as kind of a dream of our collective realities. So the abstract artist especially is kind of a deconstructor, and you can get much more sense out of what the artist was saying when they do it through abstraction. So even if you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes of the piece of art, you can really feel it in the work because we all have the same hardware. So breaking through language with art is very important and leads to experiences you simply cannot have in any other way. So getting rid of ego and overthinking, that's when creativity comes and penetrates the unconscious and allows exploration of other realms. And it connects uh, one's transcendent being with one's higher self and allows for much deeper realizations of what it is to truly be a human being. So the conscious artist basically frees themselves from kind of the political relevances of the day. And, of course, the mainstream view of, of an artist is typically that we're kind of a funny bunch and we're not really to be taken seriously. But for people like you and I who 
probably are a bit further along on our journeys than most, and you know, we're here at a place like Burning Man that's all about radical self-expression. We know that could not be further from the truth. The truth resides in the innermost parts of the lives of people, and the great journey of the individual is from ignorance to truth. So what is leading-edge art that's conscious, authentic, esoteric, and awake? Psychedelic art. The psychedelic experience is extremely authentic and can be profound and integral to expanding consciousness and realizing who we really are. So if, if you take something and you leave your body, what does that tell you? It tells you that we're not exclusively our bodies. And Empire doesn't really want us to know that. So if we can have these experiences, we're really meant to use these experiences. And you talk about our higher faculties. There have been times in the past, likely due to the processional cycle, which I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with, but it's, it basically states that we have a, a cycle in a day where we're awake and asleep, and then a cycle in a month where we have our, you know, a, a cycle in a year, excuse me, where we have seasons, where we have periods of growth and non-growth, which is kind of awake and asleep. And then we have a great year as well, where over thousands of years, we go in and out of periods of being awake and asleep. So you look at the ancient Egyptians who likely had much higher faculties than we did, faculties that allowed them to kind of transcend space and time. And these are faculties that have been lost to us but will likely be regaining. So to talk about artistic previews into what it's like to have these higher capabilities, um, what makes something visually psychedelic? It's portraying multidimensionality or simultaneously occurring worlds vivid, saturated colors, endless readjusting of shapes and novel content, time tunnels, interconnectedness, non-locality, hyper-realism, un-Englishable visuals. So artists like maybe Degas or Cezanne or Renoir's, you know, the Impressionists kind of did dabble in this a bit, but surrealist art is where it really kind of starts to come to the forefront. And I think of artists like Magritte and Dali or maybe even somebody like Caspar David Frederick, and more contemporary artists like Robert Venosa, Pablo Amaringo, uh, Alex Gray, Ernst Fuchs, even H.R. Giger, um, or maybe people like the comic book artist Mobius come to mind, or other artists that you might see here at Burning Man or are featured in publications such, such as Juxtapose or the communities such as Reality Sandwich. They really explore this, and I'm not saying that they're all get they're getting everything from plant allies, but they're portraying an esoteric window which the exoteric masses can then peek through. So it's kind of like the designers are on drugs while the consumers are not. But however photoreal their work is, it's not moving, right? So computer graphics is nearly indispensable when one is confronted with the dynamic processes which cannot be illustrated by individual still images, but purely through animated sequences. So computer graphics are and will continue to be the tool used to visualize what is essentially unlanguageable. So high-end computer graphics, or CG, sequences are very time-consuming and extremely expensive to create. And top-of-the-line photoreal work like you see in the movies generally costs many of millions of dollars per chunk of screen time, has been done by large teams of incredibly talented people 
working sometimes multiple years. And a CG pipeline, just without getting overly technical, but just to say the basic steps so people are kind of familiar, um, you basically build an asset in the computer, whatever that may be, whether it's a, a plant or a desk lamp or a battleship or a giant monster. And that essentially entails modeling it, texturing it, shading it, rigging it, animating it, lighting it, rendering it, and compositing it. And that you generally, every a single person does each one of those steps. So it's a very complicated process. And rendering is essentially turning what's in the software into the actual image to then be displayed on screen. And generally, this is an extremely mind-numbingly slow process requiring extremely heavy technical resources. So to create a fully computer-animated film requires giant rooms of hundreds of racks of thousands of computers with rendering nodes requiring huge amounts of energy to run and cool. And that kind of makes me think of like this new NSA data center in Utah that they're using to spy on us. I guess uses like a million gallons of water a day. So along with our advanced technologies, we're paying for them with extreme strain on planetary resources. And as the years have gone on, the processing power is improving, and the cost is lowering, but the bar is always being set higher and higher for what can be achieved. So as the imagery of high-end CG only improves with the rise of photorealism, we're getting to the point where it's incredibly hard to differentiate fiction from reality. And there are still things that are very difficult to do in computer graphics, like moving images are harder than stills, for example. Um, organic things, especially faces, large complex worlds, uninterrupted camera moves, heavy amounts of variety, everything the psychedelic experience can be visually. When you, when you build an asset in the computer, it can basically be propagated to a bunch of shots and then reused. But if you're having an experience where you're constantly moving through thousands of different locations where no two areas are really the same and everything is rapidly changing, you, and you're seeing essentially more art than has ever been put to any canvas or to any screen, all that needs to be built in the computer. So my first psychedelic experience happened not that long ago under rather unusual circumstances, and it was rather profound and life-changing and something I did not expect to be at all. And I'll share a bit of it here. I mean, short of making this like an Arrowwood-style trip report, I'll tie it in by comparing its visuals to the visuals I've seen in dailies. Dailies is basically where you go to review shots in progress at some of the top-of-the-line visual effects facilities in the world that create some of the most top-of-the-line imagery possible. And that basically being absolutely nothing compared to what this experience showed me. So shamanism is as old as the hills. And through a series of events with potentially synchronicity abound, I befriended a few shamans that were living back and forth between Peru and Los Angeles. And they're very legit and very professional, and one of which is Hamilton Souther, who's previously spoken here at Palenque Norte. And Hamilton is doing several very interesting things, one of which is exploring bringing the Icaros that they sing during shamanic ceremonies into electronic dance music with the ultimate goal being fusion of the elements of EDM with the elements of a shamanic ceremony, which I'm sure is easier said than done. So I had been working to help create content for them to visualize some of their music videos and whatnot. And it got to the point where it was like, if I'm going to be generating some of this imagery, I should have some of these experiences directly. 
So we did kind of a pay and trade thing, right? Like you might have done uh, 1,200 years ago in a village or indigenous tribes still do today. Like you, you give me that spear and I'll give you that yak. It's like I will create high-end CG for you if you give me ceremonies. So this was the maiden voyage of them attempting to shamanize medical-grade cannabis. And I didn't even know that was possible. Um, I'm not sure if they did either because this was the first time they had done it, tried it, and I'm not sure if this has been done any, anywhere or if this is a complete old hat. But we were sitting around in a circle in, with on furniture in a normal apartment living room high-rise building in Los Angeles looking overlooking the UCLA campus. And this is a very rare experience because it's essentially just me and one other person in a ceremony with three shamans, one of whom is a maestro. And I get there, and I'm asked Hamilton, I'm like, well, what are we doing? And he's like, oh, we're going to try the green goddess. So he holds up just basically your standard cannabis pipe with cannabis in it. And we smoke it, and they start doing their thing. You know, we're preparing for ceremony, darkening the lights. It was evening time. And start shaking their shakruna leaves and start singing their ikaros. And I don't feel anything from the cannabis. It's literally like the third time I've ever smoked it. I'm a Virgo, so I feel nothing. I'm like C-3PO, caffeine, nothing, sugar, nothing. So I close my eyes, and I start to see the usual thing you see with your eyes closed, which is, of course, darkness, and perhaps a bit of latent image. But behind closed eyelids, I slowly start seeing dim, dark, black-and-white patterns creeping in around the perimeter of my field of vision. And they're kind of kaleidoscopic. They're moving to the song as he's singing at the pacing and timing that he's going. And they're not really like a flat 2D screen, but more like a dome in maybe a planetarium. And as the first song finishes, they slowly fade out. And I already think this is miraculous, because I had previously worked on some personal projects with sound reactive visuals, where you essentially plug an audio track into a particle system that then moves to the audio. It's kind of like the glossolalia. So this is already tying in with my body of work. And he starts singing the next song, and they slowly fade back on again, and the screen comes back. But this time I start seeing depth to them, right? There's, there's depth in the patterns. And there's 3D software, and then there's 3D stereo technology, which involves rendering two images or shooting things with two cameras so that when you go to the movies and you put your 3D glasses on, the image then has depth to it when it's a 3D image that's being rendered that's then being presented in 3D. So it kind of reminded me like that of that. It also kind of reminded me of those, remember those uh, audio stereogram patterns where you stare into them, and the longer you stare in them, the more you might see something in depth. So basically now there's this kind of XYZ component. In the Cartesian coordinate, the 3D space of a 3D scene, it's called the Cartesian coordinates. There's an X and a Y, but now there's a Z component to these patterns. And at this point, it starts dawning on me that these things look a heck of a lot like Alex Gray's artwork, like the iconic room of hallways of Alex Gray with those heads. So they're not brightly saturated colored. They're not vibrant. They're kind of dim and dark, and maybe that's just my novice experience level. So to use a digital artist metaphor, it's like somebody in Photoshop turned the saturation way down and the blurriness way up. And at this point, I know I'm really in good hands. I'm welcoming it with open arms. I'm getting very excited because I'm seeing something. And you're, you know when you're getting those kind of rapid eye darts under closed eyelids that you're getting somewhere. And the singing is amazing. It sounds tribal and ancient. It's probably thousands of years old and passed on from shamanic generation to generation. So the next thing I know, I'm moving through forward in depth 
and I'm starting to move through the columns, and the pace is moving faster because now his songs are going faster. And I don't know if we're in another dimension or another world, but through the shaman's guidance, we're flying through what feels essentially like an endless archive of moving spirits. And the amount of them and the size of the world is absolutely indescribable. So if this was actual 3D geometry in a computer-generated scene, it wouldn't even be possible in traditional ways that it's done now in the movies. So it's like the feeling like your body is gone and all that's it's dissolved away and all that's left is like your pineal gland with a fisheye lens on it. It's like running a mental marathon, and through the complex 3D patterns, windows start tearing open in kind of sacred geometric patterns, and through the windows, I see jungle canopy I'm flying over. Uh, I see ancient Mayan-like temples. I see uh, a series of hexagon-shaped waterfalls, which look kind of like Iguzu Falls in Brazil, which is one of the world's most beautiful waterfalls. But it's like the M.C. Escher abstract version of that, where there's kind of like one fall going up in every direction, blah, blah, blah. And... After that, it's basically going on to things that are very cosmic, you know, the typical psychedelic thing where you're suddenly changing locations and we're flying over the rings of Saturn. And the thing about that cosmic element is I'm starting to see things that are, they, they look like basically space art. So I'm starting to see work that I've already created from, in my portfolio and I'm getting inspiration for things that I will create in future projects. You know, it, it went on to things that basically I'll I'll summarize I'll wrap it up there, but it essentially went on to things that are undescribable, of course, that look like they're out of the Voynich manuscript or the Codex Seraphinianus. You know, those books that s- seem like they're channeled for alien dimensions and are completely fascinating. So the type of visual effects artist which assembles the final shot in layers is called a compositor. So it's like compositors speak from back to front. So in this experience, it's like you have layers where you have these celestial space elements, and then you layer that in the foreground with many layers of these kind of curtains of kaleidoscopic patterns. And then in front of that, you have these tearaway windows of specific content. And then in front of that, you have these layers of Alex Gray hallways. So with my background, all I can think about at this point is, oh my gosh, this would be so impossible to replicate in computer graphics. There's no way I could do this without some sort of massive team. And even with a massive team, I don't even know if this is possible with our current technology. So it's like having a fully immersive 3D screensaver that's really a wormhole. And the whole time I'm having this experience, I'm thinking it blows mass multiplayer gaming out of the water. Because rendering technology and game engine technology is just getting to the point where it can perhaps start to push this amount of data. And game engine technology, for those that aren't familiar, is basically like you take all the kitchen sink of everything that's being developed in the computer and you put it into the game engine so that it can then render in real time because when you play the game, the game has to move in real time. And there's now stereo 3D motion tracking headsets, which are the, you know becoming more and more popularized these days. And they allow for much more immersive experiences into virtual worlds through game engines. And I tried one on last week for the first time. And it was the most profound video game experience I've ever had. And I've been playing video games for 30 years. But it was absolutely nothing compared to what the organic virtual worlds can show us that are orders of magnitude more realistic. So as the future goes on, that is where we are headed. We're headed into increasing realism in virtual spaces with less restricting the viewer to just passive consumer and more stimulation of creativity, which essentially just allows us to get back to where the plants have always been able to take us, right? 
So it's really fascinating that indigenous people have essentially been uploading themselves to much more advanced organic realms for potentially thousands of years, if not more, seeing imagery that's much more complex than what you can see in a Hollywood summer blockbuster today. So I'm sitting here This is thinking this is the most advanced visuals I've ever seen with my background coming from a plant, and a really mild-mannered plant at that, right? So with technology today, it's not uncommon for let's say, a game engine to slow down or get laggy if the hardware isn't top-notch. None of that here. This is perfect frame rate regardless of volume of data. When frames can render in real time with max height and photorealism, it just shows how extraordinary of supercomputers our brains really are and how powerful our minds are. And with Moore's law of computing power doubling like you know twice every 26 months, it's still nothing compared to the untapped parts of the human mind and imagination, not to mention the areas of our brains we don't even fully understand or know about. So with each new kind of staggering and leveling up that arose during this experience, which I saw completely off medical-grade cannabis, I have an unbelievable newfound respect for the plant. And, of course, you know, this... Me, me kind of briefly retelling this experience does not do anything to do it justice. And perhaps I had such a rare visual experience off of this because I'm such a visual person. And also perhaps because I had three shamans almost exclusively dedicated to me. But Hamilton is now doing this process over live stream ceremonies through the Blue Morpho Foundation online. So anybody can have access to this. And with the recent legality changes... Little do the politicians know what a wonderful mind-expanding tool cannabis can be. Nothing about this experience didn't feel untimeless or inauthentic or uncomfortable. And again, it's a rather mild-mannered experience compared to what other plants are capable of showing us. So it's not so much our technology, but more the society hasn't been there to duplicate these experiences because in order to do so would inherently require maximum resources and high budgets Yet, the current financial paradigm entails that needing to appeal to the largest possible audience, yet it's kind of an esoteric thing in this current culture. So it's kind of the perfect storm of what's hardest to create combined with the largest cultural limitations. Even though it's the most profound experience most people don't even know is possible, or if they do know it's possible, they're kind of, oftentimes opinions are quite misguided and based on misinformation which stems from them thinking they know about it even though again they haven't had the direct experience of it so back to neoteny that is one of the main reasons why we haven't seen more of these experiences replicated but we will as time goes on and empire doesn't really want hollywood creating any content that give people funny ideas right so when you talk about the reality tunnels that Hollywood creates for people, I mean, studio execs aren't necessarily jumping to make these experiences. And you know, even though when told essentially in allegory, they can be extremely commercially successful. I mean, just look at like Avatar's box office. So the masses want these themes because I think subconsciously we all know how authentic they really are. But 
there, you know, have been attempts in cinema to replicate psychedelic experiences, of course. You know, they've been a bit few and far between. I, I think of uh, Enter the Void, the Gaspar Noe film, had some sequences in it, which I believe were trying to replicate DMT sequences. And then uh, Renegade, the Jan Cohen film, had an ayahuasca sequence in it, which was quite well done, actually. The, um, the Jan Cohen, that Renegade sequence, I think, was the highest budget sequence that cost, took two years to do and cost a few million dollars to create. In terms of other attempts of this kind of mixture of specific asset content, and again, a specific asset being something you build in the computer along with procedural software, which is essentially a rapid creation of visualization of structures in computer graphics. So an example of that would be like fractals, right? Like a lot of stuff you might see online is fractal software, which is basically um, uh, kind of open mathematics, uh, real-time systems like DJ, VJ, concert visuals, um, all of which kind of look quite flat and stale compared to what I've seen in my own experiences, again, comparing them just purely on the visual component. So as the future goes on, having more real-time uh, image capture applications to tap into the visual center of the brain and essentially record that data, which we're, we are in the early phases of now, that would likely be the best, best way to capture any sort of visual component of the experience authentically because it essentially would be a real trip, right? So there's no doubt that the psychedelic evolution of the 1960s has had a profound influence on the history of computers and computer graphics. But CG pioneers or Academy Award-winning visual effects supervisors, which is kind of the highest level of the hierarchy of computer graphics in terms of role, um, you know, in recent decades haven't been outspoken about much usage. So nothing to the extent of like Steve Jobs' Apple brought to you by LSD. So it's kind of a renegade team thing. And even if you're duplicating these experiences only in extreme moderation, you're not somehow trying to duplicate a six-hour-long trip, it's still almost logistically unbudgetable to do or at least requires a complete rethink of kind of how a facility's pipeline would work or at very least, at very most, kind of essentially a, a, a writing and redesigning of specialized software purely from the bottom up. It's not like you can do this type of thing with off-the-shelf tools. Or you, if you can do it off-the-shelf tools, it's just in very tiny little doses. So let alone the challenge of a director, let's say a Hollywood director having to communicate to a team of artists that would then be assigned to replicate this experience, what is essentially, again, unlanguageable. So nature is really perfect, man. A surfer farm, of again, of thousands of computers, can't replicate the human brain. And we are inherently designed to be connected and have these vir virtual reality experiences. And it's, so, it's why we're so drawn to technology, you know, our, our cell phones, our computers, our tablets. So psychedelic experiences, whether real or future replicated, if done responsibly, aren't negative escapism, but could be a true awakening process for more people. Because we are not human beings that can have spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings having human experiences. So as the old system, the current system, which basically just lets us kind of continue to fulfill our ignorances, as it kind of continues its ever so slow meltdown and we're transitioning out of it, let's work to create better systems. The gatekeepers are basically going away. So if the job doesn't exist that you want to do, you know, create your own new type of job. And, of course, that's easier said than done, and not everybody can do it, and there's growing pains associated with it. But all ends have silver linings, and ambitions are competitive. Aspirations are not. 
aspirations take no one take nothing from anyone else and injure no one else and allow you as a sovereign individual to grow because that's why we're all here i've come to love books and podcasts and as learning tools and the psychedelic salon has been a wonderful mind expander for me and after gaining more interest in the podcast medium you know i started my own little podcast it's called novelty generators and it's basically a series of little chats i do with friends or conscious and creative people who i really admire and it's kind of a tertiary thing on the i do on the side i don't really do anything to promote it there's no schedule to it but there's a secret to it which i'll basically say here which is that it's basically for my own growth that's the only real reason i did it and if you want to talk to people you admire and you can really sponge off of and learn from you know start a podcast it's it's so easy and you'd be amazed who will be willing to give you an hour or two of their time for a chat if they get a little bit of promotion out of it one of the only reasons i can be up here today saying these things is because of direct conversations i've had with people that i've gotten a lot of direct learning experience from so as one becomes more awake and lucid and your vocabulary improves you find new words and artistic techniques to describe things because the real knowledge isn't in books it's in rooms with people passing on lineage and i'm not captain expert psychonaut but i have had numerous breakthroughs some with but mostly without plants one of which is a master shaman on the podcast telling me the future is all about consciousness which our species certainly has a way to go before reaching any sort of um full spectrum of that by all means but it's certainly been a life changing realization and has given me the inspiration to create a series of experimental art films of people talking about the subject for example and then he can go off and take his new found discovery of creating a paradigm of live stream shamanic cannabis ceremonies to the world so nobody was going to give him that job he had to create that job for himself and nobody's given you the opportunities to be part of a production company start your own production company i did that and you know being a couple short films in now both science fiction i'm starting to write future films which are sci-fi with a psy instead of an sci and if you want to have a genre that's absolutely intertwined with imaginative content design science fiction is completely that i mean just take inspiration from science fiction authors psy writers like william gibson Frank Herbert and Philip K Dick which Hollywood has absolutely been mining for decades. So rather than spending all my time um getting paid well to slot into another kind of dial turning technician cubicle job for a large corporation to work on a not so very good film, I can put my skill set into a much more substantive low budget film which is a documentary with a modern mystic and philosopher named Neil Kramer um which is the current project. and that allows for much m- less money of course but allows then for much more creativity because life is very short and neil is another person for example that um does consultations online as a, a consulting philosopher helping people with all sorts of various life issues and you know again back to that nobody was going to give him that job he had to create that job for himself so break through those cultural limitations and i've you know it's funny i've, I've befriended the shaman i've befriended the mystic maybe an alchemist is next on my journey i don't know but i'll i'll stop talking about myself ego ego blocks wisdom um the only reason i do that though is to mention how these specific experiences have affected my work and myself better directly we have a, the opportunity to leave this life 
in a better condition in which we entered it. And returning to our plant technologies in addition to our hardware technologies is certainly a really great way to do that because there's a better way of life than which we currently live, and some aspects of Burning Man truly represent that. And it that way of life bring opportunities and consol- consolations and have infinitely more rewards than the lesser way of life which can't experience the same thing. Because life is an opportunity to grow and build a new foundation of character. Because that's all that we can really take with us when we leave. So down with superstition, ignorance, and fear, and up with growth, love, consciousness, and art. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, man. Question? Do you want the artist to run the empire? What do you want running the empire? I know you don't want an empire, but... No, no, no. Well, I think artists just do so such a good job of, if your work is, you know, I mean, look at some of the work around us here or some of the work that's at Burning Man, for example. I mean, I just saw a piece out on the playa today that is so such a good representation of just kind of um, how we can improve our current systems. And it's done not through, there are some words on it, but it's just done through visuals. And again, regardless of however those visuals are being portrayed, if they're being done with a paintbrush or on a computer with, you know, millions of dollars being spent, it's like you can there there it's, it's it can be such an effective tool for helping other people see how much better life can be in other ways. So that's why um, psychedelic art, for example, is such a great tool for communicating to other people what certain people have seen in their their experiences. Uh, we got a mic coming here. Yeah. Um. I just wanted to tell you a brief. Expo- I've been doing computer graphics since the Amiga and before. Oh, fabulous! So, yeah, and I have a movie showing here tomorrow night, Thursday night at midnight, of Terrence McKenna, the Imaginatrix. So please come back. Um, but one of the very first times I did a high dose of psychedelics with my computer, I felt that the uh, the silicon crystals communicated with me and said, "We're part of the Earth. We're like plants." We're like other elements, and we see that the species is in a crisis, and we're trying to get all the humans on the same page so that they can deal with this crisis appropriately. And they told me if I treated them like an ally, a shamanic ally, they would always give me surprises to show me to make things that I didn't know how to make. I always I start randomly and work from there. So I just wanted to add that into this because yeah, I thought a lot about the connection between psychedelics and graphics and... Yeah, and oh, virtual worlds. I mean, most people today that are are so drawn to virtual worlds, but they don't know what the best virtual worlds are. Uh, hi, I'd like to show you a video sometime when you're not busy that I've been working on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to see it, mate. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's... I'm sure at Burning Man here, you know, I'm, there's a lot of people that are interested in this and perhaps working on visualizing these things, and I'd love to see anybody's stuff because there's so much creativity in it and anytime I see a new kind of psychedelic artist in, in whatever form it's just so inspiring so I'd love to absolutely it's funny I just the, um, I mentioned last week I just tried on you know a, a virtual reality headset but it was interesting because I met a, I met a facility in um, in San Francisco and they're doing development for this for Oculus 
And I put the thing on for the first time, and I'm at a desk in this basically like office building. And I put the thing on, and there's not a huge game world in it. There's just a computer graphic desk in the Oculus. So it's like you, you're sitting in front of a desk and then suddenly see the digital version of the same desk. And that was a very uh, surreal experience. But, I, yeah, it's like the, your original question was basically like just some of the complications or some of the things that are more difficult. Yeah, I think it's just the technology. It's really just the amount of processing power and how uh, the the systems are getting very sophisticated now. And if you look at some of the new virtual worlds in terms of however they're being portrayed, mostly I mentioned gaming in this talk because they're most, mostly being used for games because games kind of require, I don't want to say the most computationally intensive stuff, but that's where the most kind of a lot of money is to be made. So I'm seeing some stuff in latest game engine technology that's looking pretty impressive. But again, I think it's like difference of quantity versus the quality. Like we can get to the quality now where you see um, uh, imagery that's comparable to what you can see in probably some of the most profound mystical experiences you can have. But you can't do it for however long a mushroom trip lasts, right? So that's kind of the separator. And uh, I think if, if if you're really talented and you're really committed, you could probably anybody that you know knows the tools can probably sit down and spend uh, an extremely long amount of time and make a three second visualization of a perfect psychedelic experience. But that might take you six months. So it's just a time, yeah, it's a time resource issue. Um, hi, I yeah. work uh, I work in uh, cartoons for children. Oh, and five, yeah. A lot of times I'm asked to incorporate. Not necessarily so bluntly uh, psychedelic imagery in the work that I do that is still for a very large corporation um, and still so that I can get a paycheck every day. Yes. Um, if that work is done tastefully, is there still value in showing that to people even if they don't know the inspiration for it? Or Yes, of is, course. Is that okay? I, yes, absolutely. And it, what's really wonderful in today's society is when with a high budget or, or a large kind of a top-down system, when we get really great stuff from a top-down medium that's not just, you know, junk food. So that is that is certainly a wonderful thing, isn't it? When you can work at a place that's a place trying to do good work and is actually implementing good work and is then kind of a next-gen 2.0 maybe philosophy on the future and isn't doing the usual mistakes that past kind of systems have done. That's a great thing. So I hear you, man. I've had rare experiences in my career where out of all the projects I've worked on... Uh, a few of them were just that, and it was very rewarding. And it was like for a major movie studio. Hi. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm interested in the um, in the struggle to replicate a trip perfectly, say, whether or not that is a valid experience, if you're ever seeing it getting to the point where it is as ego-changing as a person's direct experience. Because then the um, kind of spiritual element comes into question. Exactly. And uh, as any of these experiences with any plant is so much more than just the visual component, and I totally recognize that. So this is, I think ultimately it's really just kind of a little bit like, a, oh, here, try look at this, and then this is kind of a stepping stone to right. something else. Yeah, and I don't ever mean to imply that this is going to somehow, you know, replace it or be like a some sort of technological uh, equivalent to it. I think it can, at very best, get people back to where we've, you know, come from. We have a question here. Um, actually, I have one question. Yeah, yeah, man. Go ahead. Um, you're 
sitting or my art is sitting around you oh this is you stuff. yeah oh okay yeah um yeah. and i was wondering if you've i don't know if you've covered this but uh talking about using animated art as an enhancement to a trip so like have you ever seen the show off the air on adult swim i have not but i it's, yeah it, it's, it totally works like if you're tripping and you watch that it's total perfect eye candy and it just clicks so i'm not sure how you feel about that that's interesting that's really interesting yeah it's using some sort of visual like digital visualization to extend pre-existing organic experiences i could see a huge future for that i mean maybe that's a that's a new paradigm of a of a that a group of artists or that a a new, I, I almost want to, I don't want to necessarily say company, but a new way of doing business in the future is that you could tackle that using our current technologies. Now, how about, why not use your art to show children who naturally have the ability and can, who can learn to tap into that and recognize it? Because someone's just recognizing, saying, yeah, I see that all the time. And then they don't have to worry about taking plants or drugs or anything and identifying those people as maybe natural artists or something. Have you thought about using it that way? Well, that, I think that's part of um, psychedelic art is kind of bringing back that synesthesia because some people naturally have synesthesia and, and they hear sounds and they see colors and imagery. But for me, I don't. I don't have that gift. But with psychedelics, you, you get it, right? Uh, so you listen to music and you see great things. Well, and think of what a powerful resource that could be, again, back if that's a future system where you can have a ability to create visuals that then extend or heighten people's trips, that could be a really valuable kind of commodity for the future um, to be able to have that resource, or at least maybe in a nice system, be able to give away that resource. Yeah, okay. Last question. So uh, what is your creative process, and when does it start, like, of, you know, concept or, like, it, during the visualization, or, like, what do you do right after the visualization, and how do you start building on, on top of that concept or the idea or the image that you have, like, of putting it, bringing it down onto a graphic or remembering it or, you know, pointers for yourself to keep it going or, you know, to bring it back together? Yeah, I kind of, in the few experiences, I did mention an experience or two where it's like I got a visualization off of something from something that Hamilton, for example, helped me with. And then that was something that right after it happened, I did the standard thing where it's just like I wrote it down and then I drew some imagery from it. I sketched it in a sketchbook. And then it's basically, I mean, that was it. It's like from for future systems, I always find that it's just this methodical note-taking. But I know a lot of people do other things where they like to like record, you know, record voice after an experience. But it is the type of thing, isn't it, where you kind of lose it if you don't jot it down. And for me, I, I, tef- I definitely seem to get if, for example, with one of those experiences, I didn't get the idea until right after the experience. I got it like the next morning. So then I did the same thing then. But it comes at odd times, doesn't it? Kind of these moments of inspiration can come at very, like, you're in the shower, or you're driving to work, or you're just waking up in the morning. And I know morning is a really good time when you're kind of least, you're, you're kind of the most clear. So I oftentimes get a lot of the ideas in the morning. And then those have certainly come the evening after some sort of experience. Uh, yeah, the question was, have I ever gone in with a certain concept and gone deeper with it? Not really, not at this point, but yeah, that's definitely a good future exploration with the kind of body of work that I'm doing. I'm kind of transitioning out of one field and starting another field, and you know, there's much more limited resources in what I'm doing now, so I'm kind of early in that journey, but I definitely will for the future. 
So, yeah. Yes, yes. I wanted to suggest that um, your lecture would make uh, a great illustrated uh, YouTube on video or something of that sort. And also to comment that I think the history of cinema itself, uh, with Walt Disney and all kinds of... In fact, there's a whole history of things that fall into the realm of psychedelia that I think have conditioned the collective consciousness of our culture and that our experience of psychedelic uh, agents as Westerners may very well be colored by materials that have come out of cinematic animation and also cinematic decor. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of what's come out of Hollywood and cinema is very kind of unconscious, unfortunately. You know, it's just kind of the and same with the game industry. So, as the future goes on, I would love to see more of Hollywood becoming more conscious in its content and things of not so not so the same thing over and over again. That's just kind of a rehash of that. But in in the past, it's nice when we've seen certain times when you, we have had that, and it's been a beautiful thing. But um, yeah, it's it's good. So. Well, uh, thanks so much, everybody. Yeah, thank you. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. In fact, Niles even got me to thinking about maybe getting back involved with coding. I actually never was a very good programmer, but that never stopped me from writing code uh, whenever I had the chance to get paid for it anyhow. Anyway, with uh, all of the new tools that are available today, just uh, learning how to use them sounds like a lot of fun to me, but then I'm probably a little bit more geeky than most of us. However, even if you aren't a geek, and if you haven't already done so, you really should get a hold of one of those little build-it-yourself kits and solder a little computer together then program it using assembly language. Uh, that would be sort of similar to a modern radio engineer building a crystal set, which, uh, of course, is another thing you should do if you haven't already done so. Even today's super high-tech kids uh, seem to still marvel when they see a working crystal radio set. And why am I passing these old guy tips along to you? Well, simply because until you've played with the insides of a computer or a television or a radio at the lowest, most basic level, you really can't understand that uh, when you're using one of these new tablets, say, to watch a movie like Avatar and then use that same device to video conference with a friend in another city while at the same time searching for homework answers on the Internet, well, if you understand that uh, those primitive experiments that I just mentioned were the leading edge of technology at the early period of my own lifetime, then you'll see how your tablet or web phone or laptop, uh, well, you'll see it in the same way I do. It's every bit as much an object of magic to me as, uh, well, a potential philosopher's stone. These new computer tools that are becoming more affordable to us common people every day, particularly when connected to the Internet, give we the people much more power than all of the governments on Earth combined. And I'm not talking about using this power for politics. What I'm talking about here is the same thing as what Niles was saying, what Alex Gray has been saying, what Terrence McKenna has been saying. Art. Art is the single most transformative force we humans have. And something I find interesting is that the microcomputer revolution exactly coincided with the resurgence of psychedelics. And for an excellent account of how the personal computer revolution was actually shaped by the concurrent resurgence in psychedelic usage, 
I suggest you read John Markoff's excellent book, What the Dormouse Said. Now, if you think back to the podcast I posted just before this one, we again heard Terrence McKenna stating his opinion that our communications need to evolve from mainly using small mouth noises to a language that is beheld. And what better way to do that than through art, as uh, created with the most powerful mind tools that we've yet produced? My own first personal computer was a Sol 20, and I soldered it together myself. It was a great fun and a wonderful learning experience. But when I look back on my early tech experiences, I now see myself as one of those apes in that opening scene of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Do you remember that scene when they all awaken and see this big black slab in their myths? I see myself as one of those apes and my tablet computer as that big black slab. But fortunately I'm not an ape, or at least a full-blown ape, otherwise I'd probably uh, start worshipping the damn thing. Well, now I have no idea what it was that I first started talking about, so (laughs) I guess I'd better close by thanking Niles for this informative and inspiring talk. And I'll post his contact information, his uh, Twitter account info, podcast info, website, etc., in the program notes for today's podcast, which you know you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. <laughs>